welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode number 157. My name is CJ Schrader. And with me, as always, my two miscellaneous co-hosts. I think I've used that one. First off, we have Jess Dunks. Hey, this is Jess. And Brian Prilliman. Hello. When you said JudgeCast, it made me think like you were doing spirit fingers or jazz hands when you said that. JudgeCast. Yeah. I did it that time. Yeah. Which That's what I think every time he says every time he says podcast pros, podcast pro, podcast pro. Now was it was it jazz hands or spirit fingers? Because apparently there's a difference. Uh, my hands went out excitedly but did not shake. Uh, ooh, what that have might I be done? Different. <laughs> um, jazz fingers. I don't. I okay. Don't, I don't know. I did enjoy last episode hearing Sarah try to uh, open the show. It's hard work. Yeah, yeah it is. But. <laughs> All right. We, we, uh, but what actually happened there is that, that Brian and I were discussing before the show who was going to open it. And so she just jumped in and said, can I do it? Yeah. All right. Who, do you want to be like, CJ? Yes. Yeah. It was, do you want to be CJ? Not particularly. Do you want to be CJ? <laughs> no, not not really. And then Sarah was like, oh, I'll do it. She did not so, have that exasperation. I heard uh, it. Pretty sure she did. She was thrilled. Oh. I, I think it was faked exasperation. I have it on recording. Oh. <laughs> well, so, well, so do I. <laughs> All right. This episode is not about that episode. It is about. <laughs> <laughs> this is a recap of the previous episode where we just talk about our it's, thoughts about it. <laughs> it's it's really uh, it's a it's the uh, the commentary track. Yeah. You can yeah, play that day. while you're one, listening to the other podcast. All right. This episode is about well. The same thing all of our episodes after the uh, episode, the release notes episode is we got some new RPG updates. Nothing too crazy this time, uh, but we just wanted to go over those. And then we also got some news we wanted to discuss. And uh, I think we'll have a nice little episode. Nice, nice little episode. Allegedly. Yay. Yay. All right. Let's start off with the RPG and uh, namely Fabricate messed everything up. It didn't mess everything. It messed up the whole policy. So, can you guys explain that to me? Yeah, we've now scrapped and rewritten the entire RPG from scratch because <laughs> of fabricate. Because of fabricate. Uh, no, that's I'm I'm kidding. Um, uh, I I can't explain that actually. So, fabricate, even though it doesn't necessarily look like it in the reminder text, has a default option, uh, which is to make servos, if I remember correctly. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, to in case you don't know what I'm talking about, Fabricate says it has a number, Fabricate 1, Fabricate 2. And when this comes into play, you either get that many plus one, plus one counters on this creature, or you get two servos. And there's a default action, which is to get the servos. Yeah, it's like if you don't, then, you know, put a plus one, plus one counter. If you don't, put a a, a dude, a 1-1 one, one Tom servo. Right, so uh, the the problem with this... Uh, where, where this intersects with the current or the previous, I should say, uh, tournament policy is that for things with default actions, uh, if you miss a trigger that has a default action, we would just apply the default action when it was caught and the opponent would have the choice of whether to apply it now or at the beginning of the next phase. Now, that uh, that works well and good for basically every other kind of default action because all of the other ones uh, are negative things that have that are negative consequences. Things like sacrifice this unless you do X or something to that effect. Or, yeah, discard uh, a card or whatever. Right. They're, they're all bad things. So it's totally fine to say, well, that's just going to happen. In this case, it, it's really not totally fine. Uh, so there was a minor tweak to the policy that says that if a trigger has a default, uh, a default action associated with it, um... Uh, but let me rephrase that, actually. I'll just read you what it says. It says, if the triggered ability specifies a default action associated with a choice made by the controller, give the opponent the choice to resolve it choosing the default option. So that means that in the case of Creatures with Fabricate, the player gets the choice, well, uh, do you want to have them put the creatures onto the battlefield, or do you want them to not put the creatures onto the battlefield? Those are your options. They don't. They can't get counters, but you get to choose whether or not they have it, and they still get the choice of whether or not that happens now or at the beginning of the next phase. All right. Beginning yeah. of the next phase. So, so for case. for triggers with a default action, your choices are no, now, 
or in a little bit. <laughs> and just to be clear what we're talking about, what were the choices before? Uh, uh, the, I'm sorry, go on. Uh, the, the choices bef- before were that they could resolve it now or they could resolve it at the beginning of the next step or phase. Those were their only options. You had to yeah. resolve it, just you had the choice yeah. of when. Right, and it was always a it was always a bad thing, so it always made sense of, you know, do it now or at the beginning of the next phase. Mm-hmm. But now, now that getting a, a little one-one servo is a good thing, well, no, okay. no to that. Yeah. So now, now there, there is no change for um, uh, default zone change triggers that those used to use the same uh, resolve now or at the beginning of the next phase. Uh, that still works that way. There is no change to that. Uh, the only change is for the default actions, you get the additional option of just no, sir. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or ma'am. So, Emrakul totally busted the IPG and wrecked everything. Yeah, we had to rewrite it from scratch. Can you guys explain that? <laughs> uh, Brian, I think this, this is your turn. Uh, yeah. So, basically, what they what they did was... Uh, they added a section that says if you're if you're controlling uh, another player's turn. So, so the sentence is, a player controlling another player is responsible for that player's triggers in addition to his or her own. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's the only thing that's been added I- I regarding this situation, right? Right, right. Okay. So that's that's the only sentence in in there and it is to handle this this constant questions of well, if I cast Emrakul and I'm controlling your turn, uh what what happens there? Who and and a trigger gets missed, who gets to decide that? So they decided to answer all of the questions that judges were having by putting the sentence in here and not really resolving any of the questions that judges were having. Um, and, and so, uh, so basically it's okay. So if I take control of Jess's turn, uh, I am now responsible for, uh, remembering Jess's triggers, uh, which means if I miss an okay, you know, a, a a non-detrimental trigger, uh, my Jess is probably going to say something along the lines of, Hey, don't you? You shouldn't have drawn that card. Uh, I have upkeep triggers that that need to happen. And then I was like, "Oh, it's a missed trigger. I guess your opponent, Jess's opponent, gets to decide whether or not they go on the stack or not, which is me. And of course, I'm not going to want that to happen. So, right. it, it it seems it seems kind of like a big hole. Uh, now now there's a comment in the comments to Toby's blog where he explained this stuff, where it's just like, oh, we just treat this like, you know, we treat the, in this particular case where I'm controlling Jess's turn, then we would treat it um, like I would get missed trigger, but I wouldn't get a warning since it was a non-detrimental trigger. Seems a little abusable to me. Right, yeah, I don't, I I think we're going to have to await further clarification on this. Uh, I'm not really sure who should get a warning when. Uh, Or... Uh, what, what I, I think was the intention behind adding this is that, uh, the, the player controlling the turn being responsible for the triggers, uh, simply means that they can't ignore triggers that they're, that, that right. the, uh, that right. the player has. And, and I think that's the intent is that, that, uh, you know, if, if you are controlling my turn and I have a creature that says, uh, at the beginning of of your upkeep, you you uh, gain two life. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you uh, the player who's controlling my turn is just as responsible as me to remember that tri- for remembering that trigger. Right. Uh, I don't think that it's quite clear from the wording. I'm sure we'll see that see that cleaned up in the future. Uh, I hope. Uh, and hopefully we can get some clarification on what exactly it means. Is honestly, I'm just not sure. Right. It do, it does seem particular, and the, and the concern specifically is when the trigger is missed. Okay, and then it's later later remembered. Uh, who gets to make the decision as to whether or not it does or does not go on the stack? Right. 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 Uh, now, uh, now I'm less, uh, sorry. Go on. Uh, as I say, I'm less concerned about the warning, and this does clarify that that uh, you can't just intentionally miss those triggers, which is great. I'm glad that's there, because this means that you can't get away with trying to scum your opponent out of something. Right. But 
but it's uh, it's a little unclear. Uh, and so I, I, I think uh, we're, we're going to get some answers in the future about that. I, I can't imagine that it won't be clarified. Yeah, I, and, and let's 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 be clear where I say where I say there's there's a there's a whole. I mean, cheating is still a thing. So if if I believe that you know, as a judge, if I believe that you intentionally plowed through your opponent's uh, your opponent's triggers while controlling his turn so that he wouldn't get them, then you're gone. Um, if uh, um, if if we run into a situation where uh, you you uh, well, sorry. Um, I also believe that the player is, is has a vested interest. The controlled player has a vested interest in making sure that his good triggers actually happen because he knows that you're you don't have a vested interest in doing that. So mm-hmm. he's gonna he's gonna help out <laughs> and go like, no, 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 I'm not gonna draw a card until I gain my two life from this from this upkeep trigger. But it is it is kind of vague in, mm-hmm. in terms of who gets to decide whether or not the trigger gets to go on the stack. One thing I would like to clarify is that this responsibility, uh, I believe the intent of this is this responsibility becomes a joint responsibility of both players. This does not shift responsibility for the triggers solely onto the player controlling the other player's turn. Yeah, the, so this was added in, in, it's my understanding because like the controlled player, the controlled player kind of has a tendency to check out when someone else isn't doing all the stuff on his turn. Mm-hmm. So adding adding the extra set of uh, eyes or responsibility can only can only help make sure that the game is actually paid, played properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> so what about though a ponder where you look at the top three cards of your library, you put them back, you choose not to shuffle, and then you draw two cards. I feel like that's broken the IPG and we needed to make some change. We write it from scratch? Yeah, I think so. Sure. Sure. Wait, what what changes would you suggest? <laughs> All right, so so that situation used to be that's hidden card error, right? Uh, they, they oh, you were doing a segue. Ha, I was, okay. I was. Yeah. Uh, so that that that's a hidden card error, and the solution used to be uh, you would reveal the hand, you'd have the opponent. They were only supposed to draw one card, so the opponent would choose one card because that's where they have one excess, and we would shuffle that into the unknown portion of the library. But the awkward part here is. They knew what the top three cards were, and they were going to shuffle a card in their hand back into the library. Free shuffle. Seems, seems a little weird. It's not a free shuffle because you'd leave the other two cards on top, or the other the single card on top. So the change here is if one player knew the um, knew what that card was. So that, and let me stop there and jump off to the side. If both players knew what that card was, then we could just return it to the proper zone without any. Uh, major concerns right so that's why this is only a situation where only if one player knew what the card was then when the opponent is choosing that card they can choose to put it back on top of the library they don't have to choose the same card but they can choose to put it back on top of the library uh they i think they have to put it back on top of the library yeah right i'm sorry that's that's a great point yes they must put it back on top of the library so this is this is basically to avoid uh, a, a situation where you could you could use HCE to uh, uh, dig deeper in your library or maybe do something to get a shuffle effect or something like that to to get bad cards out of the way if you knew that the top cards of your library were bad. Yeah. So kind of a small change uh, could only really happen if someone manipulated the top of their deck in some way. Scry being the big one. Uh, and then committed a hidden card error with those cards. But oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. All right, another update. Um, this isn't about a card, so I can't really force this one into the whole system. What? Uh, oh, but you know, segues are optional. <laughs> they are, but you know what's not optional, Brian? What? Downgrades. What? Yeah. Uh, the specifically the downgrade. Uh, for players missing cards uh, after the game from their deck after the game has begun, um, there there has been a lot of attention paid to whether or not a head judge should upgrade it or downgrade in, in particular scenarios. And so it's been clarified that this wasn't uh, meant to be an optional downgrade. This is just something that you should do. So uh, let me read the section from the IPG real quick, if that's all right with you guys. I'd love it. Uh, it says absolutely. It says, if a deck is discovered to be missing cards, 
After players have begun drawing opening hands and the missing cards can be located, issue a warning and shuffle those cards back into the deck. If the missing cards are in the current opponent's deck, shuffle them into their owner's deck and issue warnings to both players. If the missing cards are with the sideboard and it isn't the first game, choose the ones to be shuffled into the deck at random from all sideboard cards. Um, and this is a downgrade from a, a game loss that would normally be associated with the deck deck list problem. And I feel like it's pretty straightforward, uh, but what it is not is optional. Uh, you can't decide, well, I don't like this particular version of finding a card uh, out of the library, so I'm not going to give the downgrade here. Yeah, I, I kind of always saw the, the, the option where the where it says the head judge may downgrade. I always kind of saw it as the head judge is going to unless there's some sort of really crazy reason for him. It, it was almost like the, the release valve. Like, can't really think of a reason why you wouldn't downgrade, but just in case you run across one. Well, apparently right. people were getting confused or just being um, real hardliners about mm -hmm. it. There, and, there were you know, people... Yeah, there were people who were just say they, they were applying their own interpretations of the policy and what the, how they felt it uh, where it was intended to cover. And in the rest of the situations, they were just not issuing a downgrade. Uh, yeah, I, I can't I can't really imagine a reason uh, uh, why you why you wouldn't downgrade. But I guess other judges are more creative than I am in that regard <laughs> or maybe less creative. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that this this IPG change was surprising to me. I was like, "What?" <laughs> right. I it, it had never occurred to me to not downgrade if that situation happened. Right. So it was like, "Why would you? Why would you have it as a may?" I was like, "Well, I mean, there's probably some sort of weird case where you so, might maybe." But the, no. the the argument for it was that the where it usually came up was if somebody uh, if somebody shuffled their library, drew their opening hand, and then went, oh, wait, judge, this card over here, I forgot to shuffle it in. The argument was, well, we know you didn't start the game with it. Uh, oh. Yeah, and... so so that whole that whole thing is, is basically, um, if the opponent catches you, and that's kind of the window, right? The, the window is if, the, if your opponent's counting your deck and they discover that you have 59 cards, then, then that's still uh, a problem. But if you discover that you have 59 cards after you start the game, then that's that's just this this morning, the, this auto downgrade. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that wraps up the IPG changes that are really worth discussing. But we got a couple of things in the MTR that I think are pretty interesting. Uh, first off is this adding of rated as a form of sanctioned tournaments. But I don't really understand that. And I think it's because I don't work in war that much. Can you guys... I can absolutely explain this. Yes, I thought you might be able to. Good, because I kind of so, was looking at this like, I don't care. I, yeah, no, I could totally explain it. So back in 2011, a little history lesson, <laughs> uh, we invented, uh, uh, Wizards of the Coast actually invented a new rating system called Planeswalker Points. Mm -hmm. and Is that really 2011? Wow, yeah, <laughs> that kind of surprised me too. So, uh, so it was 2011, because it was just before uh, Worlds 2011, which was the last Worlds. Um, it might have been late 2010 that they announced it, actually. So I could be wrong about that. Anyway, uh, when they moved to Planeswalker points from the previous rating system, uh, they needed a way to differentiate uh, tournaments that gave you points from tournaments that did not give you points, like, for example, your local Commander League. So what they decided was that events that were... Friday Night Magic or other very structured events that would give you points, give you Planeswalker points for playing in them, would be called competitive events. And everything else, such as your commander events or your conspiracy draft or whatever, would be called casual events. And those casual events would give you one lifetime Planeswalker point, but zero what they called competitive Planeswalker points, which counted toward buys and at the time Pro, pro Tour invites. Uh, they don't count for Pro Tour invites anymore. Um, so since that time, there's been confusion in the documents over what it means when the MTR refers to a competitive event. Does it mean a competitive rules enforcement level event or a competitive event in the sense of points, which could include Friday Night Magic? And it led to a situation where you could have a competitive regular REL event and frequently did, uh, which creates confusion mostly in policy documents. So to 
get rid of that confusion, we've gone to calling um, calling those events rather than saying that this Friday Night Magic is competitive, which confuses everyone. We now say it is rated in that you will get Planeswalker points for playing in this event, depending on the number of match wins you get. What's it, what's and, it rated? What's it rated? <laughs> uh, well, that actually could be a reasonable question. Like, I know you're joking, but yeah. I would not be surprised in the future to get that question from players. And what they might mean by that is how many, what is the multiplier on this event? How many points am I getting per match win? I would also accept PG 13. <laughs> yes, I know. But I, mean, I just be serious about it. Like it's uh, it's, um, this has been confusing. This was confusing at the time it came out, and people there were a lot of people who both played a lot of Magic and judged, like myself, kind of were like, "Hey, what about this, guys?" And we got it got kind of hand waved away, and um, and now it's getting seen and looked at and gone, "Oh, well, maybe we should change the documents." And they are, so yay! I'm glad to see that. Cool. Does that answer the question about what is this? Yes, and what the change is. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Also, they they changed it. That was what we were getting to. Yeah. But you, you described that, right? He did? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Completely you, and thoroughly. I thought you did, and then I was like, oh my god, I missed something? Um, Alright, great. So now this is the big one. This was the one that has the internet a buzz. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> I really don't know. This has the internet a buzz. I know, I don't know This why. is This is so silly. Uh, so, uh, we have a new thing in the MTR that says, Pile shuffling may not be performed more than once when randomizing a deck. And what? People lost their minds. Either positively, negatively. Uh, so, I mean, what's what's the what's the reasoning here? Okay, so so a pile a pile shuffle is not actually a true shuffle. It is if you if you have a deck like if you sit down across from your opponent and you know the and you have a sorted deck when you sit down and you pile shuffle. Well, your deck is still sorted when you get done with that pile shuffle. Um, there, there's, if your deck is in a random configuration and you pile shuffle, okay, well, your deck is, is in a random configuration now. Um, so what the, what the concern was is, well, if a pile shuffle doesn't actually shuffle, um, it's kind of wasting time because it takes a lot longer. A, a single pile shuffle takes a lot longer than like two or three or five riffle shuffles. So the concern was if it doesn't really do anything. Uh, other than let you count the cards in your deck so that you know that you have you're presenting 60 or 40 or whatever um it's kind of wasting time to to do it a whole bunch and this is a thing that you know if i sit there and i shuffle and then i pile shuffle and then i shuffle some more and then i pile shuffle and then i shuffle some more and i pile shuffle all those pile shuffles are really just kind of wasting time um so so they've changed it uh, after uh, a lot of uh, feedback from the community, and you can now only pile shuffle uh, one time per randomization. Mm -hmm. uh, now that the big question that immediately comes up is, so that means if I crack a fetch land, I get to pile shuffle, right? You know, people people are suddenly very very concerned with what's the max number of times that they can pile shuffle now, like right. it's like it's a cigarette, and they're being told that they're being you know, uh, the price of packs of cigarettes is going up. So they have to, you know, get all the nicotine they can out of what they, what they're allowed to, or yeah. what they can afford. Uh, just don't, don't pile shuffle the one time before you present to your opponent so that you count. That's the purpose of it. That's why we're allowing it is so that you can count. And so that you know that you're presenting 40 cards or 60 cards and then just don't anymore. Uh, if you if you do if you if you if you continue to try and pile shuffle, so the question is, well, what happens? What happens if I do, huh, Judge? What then? <laughs> what if I what if I decide to pile shuffle two or three times? Uh, well, um, if you're wasting time, uh, you're either slow playing uh, or you're stalling. <laughs> you're, you're either you're either playing slowly unintentionally or you're playing slowly intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now but... to be to be to be clear. Uh, we should not be, as Toby put it, wielding slow play cudgels to solve this problem. No, 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 no. Uh, that was, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I don't think that's what you're saying, but I want to make sure it doesn't come across that way. Right. Um, it's going to, it's going to take time for players to get used to this thing. Uh, so, so definitely if you're, if you're standing there, like we're supposed to fix problems before, you know, uh, a lot of times, 
uh, we're encouraged to step in and prevent problems. Now, not necessarily like during an active during an active game when people are making like play decisions and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. if you see a problem, you can go in and fix it. So if someone pile shuffles and they start to pile shuffle a second time, you can just be like, hey, uh, you only get to do that the one time. And then they go, oh, OK. And they and they stop and they resume shuffling yeah. normal. What they uh, don't do is start doing it every fetch land. Nobody does that. Like, no, just stop. That question is so annoying. But but what's happened is there there are people that have their idiosyncrasies, and this there is a if you've been pile shuffling for twenty some odd years, mm-hmm. every time you play, it's gonna take you a little bit of time to break the habit, and we should be understanding at least in the in the in the the near term that it's going to take people time to 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 get over to to get over that hump so but yeah, but absolutely yeah but if you come up if you come up to a person and they they you know they've the player's like oh well, he's pile shuffled like eight times or something like that uh don't don't be afraid don't be afraid to give slow play but don't be super quick to give it either, at least at the beginning. Yeah, and just a reminder should be sufficient, just like any other slow play situation, to be honest. Hey, uh, it's you shouldn't be doing that at this point. Um, and yeah. we can talk about why later, but you, you that's, um, you know, what you're doing is useful for counting your deck, but it's not, it's not particularly useful for shuffling. Some people will argue with you about that. You can encourage them to have that argument after their match. <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, and just and then move on. Don't don't talk about how you can get a penalty for it. That's that's threatening to the player, and they might feel on the defensive. Is you know don't be like, well, I could give you a slow play warning for that, but but I right. won't. You know, just don't here, mention it. Just here's, hey, please don't do that. Here's what's gonna happen. Here's a, <laughs> the way you get a warning is if I go, hey, I need you to not. You know, uh, you've already power shuffled once. I you know you're not allowed to power shuffle more than the one time. And they and they just look at you. And they make an eyeball lock, and then they begin to pile shuffle. <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay, if they do that, they're on their own. All right, I'm ready to move into our other dudes, if you guys are ready. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. All right, great. That's a great. So we have, <clears throat> uh, we have heard information on what the uh, level two tester position entails. Not doing the 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 Swiss the Swiss no, rounds because playoff. that would not be the other news, and that was me subtly saying I'm going to skip that section without having to call special attention to it, you know, to keep the flow going. Sorry, yeah. I was just looking at the page break and thought that you. I mean, that's just a clear. There was a clarification for Swiss rounds and playoff for tournaments in Appendix E of the MTR. So, but if you're like me, you have to check Appendix E every single time you have that number of players anyway. So it's not like I have that memorized. So I. Yeah, and I'd, I'd like to point out, as long as we're on the topic, sorry to ruin your segue. Yeah, it's all. But as long as we're on the topic, um, if you're running a competitive REL event and there's a thing you're not 100% sure of, please look it up in the MTR before your event starts. Yeah. If that's the time limit for deck construction and registration, if that's how calling a draft works, it, it doesn't matter what it is. If you have, if, please look it up in the MTR before you start. Um, there's, uh, you know, I still do that to be honest with you. I will double check myself when I, when I start an event, I'll be like, okay, I think it's 20 minutes or 30 minutes for, for, uh, full registration, deck registration, but I'm going to double check to be sure because I don't remember the last time I looked it up. Yeah. Or, um, or two, two at a giant always look that up. Yeah. Because uh, you're always going to be wrong. Every time I print out my notes for my head judge announcements on the back, I put the table. That is the, uh, you know, how many players equals how many rounds. Uh, uh-huh. Mostly because I need it for that lower level stuff. And then I put on the uh, how to pair a uh, draft, a um, top eight draft. Because I always have to remind myself. And sometimes I have to prove to players that it's random. The seating's random. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is a thing that they, they sometimes... They don't realize that, yeah. All right. Uh, so, Okay. So maybe now I can talk about the level two tester position. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, now I want I'd to like talk that. about the changes in Appendix D. There were none. There were no changes in Appendix. <clears throat> so we got some, we got some news on this. We got the uh, information on how to become the position, why it exists, all that kind of stuff. So we are now going to tell you all that information. 
Yay! So one thing I want to start off with is the level two test position is something that exists to allow level twos to create other level twos. I actually heard some confusion once because I think, you know, with all the new certifications coming out for level threes, I think some people thought this was something for level threes to certify that they are capable of testing level twos. But all level threes are considered to be capable of testing level twos. So this is for level two. So it's an L2, L2 tester is how I would describe this. Yeah. Yeah, not confusing at all. <laughs> which, which is which is a big change because if you if you go into like the the way the way way back machine, it wasn't it like level threes could make level like level twos couldn't make level ones like L threes was could only make uh were the only group that could make level ones level twos couldn't yeah I think that's test. true I think and only so level threes can make new judges we've 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 gradually uh, opened the aperture up as the judge program has has grown and we've realized that there are there are lots of capable individuals out there we do what we must because we can <laughs> so i uh <laughs> got me all right so <laughs> why make this change uh one is that there are you know l1s out there in the middle of nowhere with no level 3s near them and you know they're just having a hard time advancing Mm -hmm. So this gives an option to level twos to be able to advance those level ones to level twos. Um, right. So so what what we've had currently uh, before level two tester was the way if you were a level one and you had completed all of the prerequisites uh, to test for level one, you had to either find your way to a level three, which normally meant going to a GP or a large event, mm -hmm. going to a conference. Uh, one of the larger conferences, or making the drive to to that L3's home area. Or you had the option of doing this thing called uh, remote certification, which was rather uncommon, but the RC could actually allow you to take your test remotely with some sort of form of remote proctoring. Uh, yeah, I've, I've never heard of that happening uh, in the U.S., I could be mistaken. Right. It might have, but I've never heard of it. Uh, that's very rare. It's not a thing that that like it's probably not a thing that you should be asking to do if it's an option. Your RC will probably let you know. Um, we we actually we actually had a, a a judge here in Florida who was like an hour south uh, of the of the L3s, and he was uh, asking for remote certification. Hmm. Uh, because he could, he couldn't make the, the, the drive or rather wouldn't. Hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and this is actually an hour is, is not right. bad by comparison, but, uh, we're talking like foreign countries here where you got to drive like two countries over yeah. to get an L3. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, even in the United States, there are States where, um, where there just, there, there really aren't any L3s nearby, uh, your closest level three judge is is five to six hours in any direction, uh, and sometimes of the year that may be a hazardous trip in the weather. So, um, you know, there there are I think specifically of some northern parts of the U.S., uh, it, but even here in some southern parts of the U.S., uh, you know, west of you know in this in the southeast region, for example, where we are, uh, outside of Florida, I'm the only level three judge. I'm in Georgia, but. The there are three other states in our region, right? And, and, Al and Alabama, Mississippi are, are 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 tough, especially as you start heading out there, because between Florida and Texas, uh, there isn't a whole lot. Or Georgia, right. Georgia, Georgia slash Florida. Um, you know, uh, South Carolina at least has you know one state over in both directions. They've got North Carolina has uh, has an L three. Uh, Georgia has an L3, mm -hmm. but yeah, there are, mm -hmm. there are some areas when you start getting out into those square States out in the Midwest, mm -hmm. whatever they're called. I don't know. <laughs> square oming. Mm -hmm. That's not really the Midwest. It's really the West. Yeah. It's <laughs> like all those square States around, around Vegas, just out yeah. there. Nevada. <laughs> well, Nevada is kind of a trapezoid, right? It's not. It's not west at all. It's middle of the country, right? All right. So, <laughs> I don't think it's a bold statement to say we want more head judges for PT, PPTQs, and particularly in the more deserted areas, this is a way to make more head judges for PPTQs. This right. is a way. I, I would. I would not. I want to disagree with you slightly, actually. Uh, we do need more head judges for PPTQs. 
this doesn't help us make them. This helps us certify them. Uh, we need to be training them and actually getting them the event opportunities. Uh, we shouldn't just be go once you get a certification to test L2s, you shouldn't just go around, you know, with a test in your back pocket or your backpack testing people. Um, you should uh, make sure that you're that you're actually vetting them first. And, and I'm sure for anybody that has an interest in this, it, it's definitely going to be um, it's definitely going to be a thing that that they'll take seriously. You know, this is this is. This is because uh, the we recognize that there's a community building roadblock where we have people that are ready for L2 that can't be L2 because there's no one to test them. Mm. And there are community leaders that are L2s that would be capable of, t- uh, of testing them and, and recognizing good L2s, but can't do it because of level restrictions. And they may not be ready for level three. They may not have an interest in level three, and we don't want to push them there just so that they can test people because there's a lot of other things that go along with level three. Mm-hmm. Um so, so this is really for people. This is not a thing where we're like expecting people to take it on so much as the people that are going to take this on that, that we want to take this on have been wanting this for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way. Of, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. And I think actually just just talk nicely into our next session, which is about who is this for? And I think just just kind of told us who it's for. Um, but the article is also very clear to be like it's not not every level two needs to go for this if you know, if you don't really want it, then don't go for it. I mean, it's yeah, that this, easy. This isn't this isn't uh, like a, a trophy in a video game yeah. where you get it and you can collect it and you can say, oh, I'm an L2. You're just an L2. I'm an L2 tester. So I outrank you in some <laughs> way, shape or form. That's that's no. <laughs> That's just a really wrong way to look at it. This right. is this is an additional this is a, an additional role. If you so choose, uh, it does not mean that you are a better judge because you have this you have this additional uh, you've taken this additional responsibility. Yeah, I think one big thing because Jess already touched on this is this is not a step towards level three. I mean, this specifically exists for people who may not want to go to level three, uh, but still. Right, I think that's the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or aren't ready for it. Oh. I want to put that in there too. There, yeah. there are people who might be ready for it, uh, who might be at a point where they're ready for L3 in certain aspects, and this could be one of them, where their their community side of, of being level 3 is great, and maybe they're lacking uh, in other areas. Uh, we don't want to hold them back from developing their community in the form of testing and certifying just because they're not L3. All right, cool. All right, so what kind of person is needed uh, or what kind of skills to, is a person expected to have? And so one thing they expect is that you have knowledge of rules and policy. That makes sense. What? I mean, now that, so you've got to you've got to be able to know rules and policy in order to recognize that another person knows rules and policy. Yeah. Weird, hmm. huh? Yeah. Now we'll get into the exact requirements you need to become a level two tester in a moment. This is just kind of general skills they are looking for. Uh, but they did specifically call out that they're not going to have any kind of special exam for this because what kind of exam could they give you? You've already passed the level two exam. Um, and then giving you the level three practice exam would be weird because of what we just said. You may not be at level three uh, level of rules and policy understanding, but you don't 100% have to be. I would say you need to be higher than base L2. But I would also say that you don't need to know stuff just so deeply as the level three practice exam tests on. Right. You, you need to be able to recognize what a level a level two judge needs to know and be able to explain what that judge needs to know. Mm-hmm. All so. right. So it also asks that you have the understanding of the skills needed for a baseline level two. So yep. that's that's basically, you know, the reminder that the moment someone becomes level two, they can head judge a PPTQ. So you should have that in mind. But with. But on the flip side, your expectations shouldn't be through the roof. You know, we level two has changed a lot in the past, even two years. Um, I would al- I would also add not just knowing how a PPTQ works, but also um, understanding when it says understanding of the skills of a baseline L two. Well, there's you know like diplomacy and stuff like that also. Like if the if the L one just doesn't have. Uh, the temperament mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't have it. It has a temperament that's a problem. Uh, then um, uh, that's that's going to be. You need to be able to recognize that and address it appropriately. 
Yep, and that leads right into our next skill, which is the ability to evaluate candidates. Uh, they, they kind of overlap, honestly, the skills needed for baseline L2, because one of those skills is diplomacy, and so then the ability to evaluate candidates. So they, they specifically call out, call out diplomacy, teamwork, philosophy, knowledge, which was also already called out in the first one. Um, but you need to be able to evaluate these things in a candidate. Uh, you also, if you're making a level two, then you're making somebody who is able to make level ones. Kind of the same way uh, we babies need... Babies having babies. Yeah. Babies making babies. <laughs> you need to make sure that their understanding of what a level one judge is, is what you would expect. Right. Right. Yeah, you, 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 you should... Wanna... Sorry, go on. Uh, I was going to say you should... Uh, being level two means something, and it should mean something to you as the person testing other people. Mm-hmm. You should take pride in it when you turn somebody else into an L2 and make sure that person's not going to you know, go out and, and, uh, do bad things or certify a bunch of, uh, questionable candidates for L1. Mm-hmm. Uh, because next thing you know, people are going to be going, who made that guy L2? Yeah. And, and your name's going to come up. And so make sure that's not you. Yes. You also don't want to be in a situation where you have to clean up a mess of L1s. Oh, you mean you, you make a, you make an L2 and then they go off and they certify a whole bunch of L1s just because they can. Yeah. And then, and then you got to clean that up. Uh, or, I mean, I mean, there's other options. You could always just move. Okay. Yeah, that's a good uh, idea. Yeah. Yeah. So another option here is, or sorry, not an option. Another skill they're looking for. You can't just have one of these. <laughs> they're looking for all four. Uh, just proficiency in mentoring and providing feedback to others. That one makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, and and I think this is the one they're going to look for the most in the actual requirements when we when we get to them in just a moment. Um, but yeah, just making sure you're able to, you know, help someone get to level two, right? Like, and, and able to sit down with someone, go over the test, tell them where they went wrong, tell them how they can improve there. Uh, when, you know, if you're running someone through a tournament, um, tell them, Hey, how, you know, how would you do this? How should this tournament go? Make sure they can actually run a tournament. I mean, that's all part of mentoring and feedback. So that makes a lot of sense. Right. Okay. So what are the actual requirements? One. You have to be a level two judge in good standing. So level one. For how long? Was there, there was a time limit though, right? There wasn't like, actually. No? Yeah, I thought there would be two. Oh, there, okay. There was not one. Just a current level two in good standing. So you also have to have entered two interview reviews, one in the last 12 months, creating a new L1. So. All right. All right. Seems good because that that proves that proves that uh, you know how to make level ones and you and have test people. and test people and have at least some decent skills in in interview type reviews. Yep. Makes sense. All right. You have to have entered one review in the last 12 months of an L1 looking to advance to L2. Uh, I almost incorrectly said that you had to enter an L2 recommendation for a level one, but that's not true. Because it could be, obviously it can be a recommendation, but it can also be a, hey, listen, I don't think you're ready for level two, but here's why, here's how you can improve. Right. Um, here's how right. you can move forward, right? That it also counts for this requirement. It, 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 yeah. It does. Yeah. I guess technically it might need to be attached to a test, but I don't think it should in function functionally. This one doesn't. Not the not this yeah. review. The interview because you're not you're not a. Oh, you're sorry, not, the interviews do. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. My mistake. Right. So so let's just let's just what CJ's talking about is so uh, two weeks ago, four weeks ago, when they announced the new requirements for level two um, to make level two, one of the things that's now required is a uh, evaluation review, basically a recommendation from a level two or higher judge from a multi judge comprel event. Um, and that, and that recommendation review needs to focus on, uh, you know, how, how you, how you are, uh, with running a, a, a tournament. And so if you're an L1 and you work a PPTQ with an L2, well, you're working a Comparel multi-judge event th- with an L2, you know, it's, mm-hmm. so it's, it's set up to be relatively easy to, to have opportunities for that recommendation to occur. Uh, and that type of review definitely counts for this check. But also, as CJ was saying, if uh, I'm the L2, you're the L1 at the PPTQ and you're looking for L2 and you just 
you don't got it. Um, and I write the and I write the review, and I'm like, these are the things that you need to work on, and all that stuff. That counts because mm-hmm. they're looking for that that critical feedback and that but constructive feedback. Right. That's what they're looking for here. Are you able to evaluate someone for level two, right or wrong? Like not right or wrong, I shouldn't say that, but pass or fail. Are you able to evaluate someone and and make that determination of whether or not they can make level two? All right. You have to have three other reviews of three other judges in the past twelve months. So once again, just Hitting up on that ability to give feedback, ability to uh, maybe mentor, maybe just uh, you know just help other people improve. And finally, you need a recommendation from your RC or a level three that has RC approval to give said recommendation. So the RC or proxy. Yep. So the RC is going to go through all this. And uh, but but you can only issue an RC proxy if the RC becomes damaged during play. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you can't actually just be like, oh, this RC is really valuable and I don't want to damage him. Can I have a proxy RC, please? Yep. Right. So, and if your RC came out of the box damaged, <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't count. <laughs> right. My, my, my RC is kind of crimped at the top. Yeah. He's, <laughs> All he's right. kind of poking out of the back. So one last note uh, is that this does expire, and basically you need to administer a level two exam every two years. And I don't think that's unreasonable at all, because if you're not making an L2 in two years, why do you need to be an L2 tester? Bragging rights, man. Yeah, exactly. So that's it. That's the L2 tester. Easy peasy for those who are in the position to want that. Yes. You're trying to come up up with a segue into this last point, aren't you? No, it's because Jess did a strike through on the word need. So I've avoided the word need this whole time. So in that case, I went with in a position to want that. (laughs) Because they don't need it. Uh, All right. We have a new program coordinator. Yay. What are program coordinators? Yeah. What are program coordinators? That's a that's a, a good question, Brian. Would you like to answer it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, a pro- program coordinators are uh, one of the advanced roles that L threes can obtain, uh, forming the the holy trinity of positions of GP head judge, RCs, and program coordinators. Uh, program coordinators are. <sighs> They used the, in the article that announced what program coordinators were. They kind of announced, uh, or they they said that they were kind of like the air traffic controllers of the various projects within the judge program, uh, making sure that people who were doing uh, uh, projects had the resources that they needed in order to uh, get them off the ground and make sure that they happened and and. Uh, for example, uh, cross-project communication, for example, um, uh, Exemplar needs to make an announcement, and that announcement's going to be in multiple languages. Then we would communicate with the uh, translation project to, to get that stuff translated. Um, would be And if for whatever reason those two groups were having difficulties, then the program coordinators might come in and, and do some coordinating um, they also, uh, I believe that they have influence into setting like overall direction, uh, uh, for, for various, uh, initiatives in the program. Like if it's decided that the program really wants to focus on education, for example, then the program coordinators would be, uh, uh, involved in pushing, uh, education initiatives. Mm-hmm. And so we have a new one of them. And we have a new one. <laughs> and it's Kevin Dupre. You may remember him as former level five judge. <laughs> you, you may remember him from such movies as Smoke Yourself Thin. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, it's uh, Simpsons. Uh, yeah. Troy McClure would come in. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, okay. Yeah. I would suppose right, I would. Congratulations, Kevin. Yep, Congratulations, and Kevin. There's a lovely article which will be in the show notes, uh, which has some great uh, responses that he gave in the application to become program coordinator. So, so if you want to learn more, so program coordinators are much like uh, L2 testers have to. Uh, uh, they have an expiration date essentially. All the advanced roles 
um, RC, GP head judge, and program coordinators basically have eighteen month term, uh, uh, an eighteen month term, in which at the end of that term you actually have to reapply for that position, uh, along with anybody else who wants your gig, or rather wants the gig that you uh, currently have. So, in six more months, uh, there will be a spot. Uh, one or two spots on program coordinators and RCs and GP head judges um, where where a third of those groups are coming up for reevaluation and those spots are opening up so that people can reapply to them. So that is something for L3s to be aware of if you are interested in being PC or RC or a GP head judge, please pay attention to the L3 forums where they make the announcements as to the, when the windows are for the, to apply for those things. All right, cool. That's it. So if you want to email us, you can at judgecast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash judgecast or like us on Facebook. So then we get an email that's like, you have six new likes and we're like, yay. And then every time it goes down, we go and figure out who unliked us. Yeah. <laughs> and we send them a nasty email. We do not. <laughs> well, we send that nasty email either immediately or in three months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> three like, I mean, months. We're, we are, we're consistent. But they're coming. Uh, right. Three, it's coming. Three more months. Yeah. Also, rate us on, on uh, iTunes. iTunes. Yeah, we don't mention Five that stars. Much, but that, <sighs> that's stars. actually really great if you can do that. Yeah, we would, we would heart you. And I'm actually holding the little heart sign up to my chest right now. Perfect. Us, not the MTG cast version of the feed. Yes, feed. us. Us. All right. Oh, you guys have anything else you want to add before we wrap this bad boy up? I don't think so. No, cool, 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 cool. All right, my name's Cedar Shirt. I keep it fair. I'm Jess Dunks. I keep it fun. And I'm Brian Perlman, and I pile shuffle exactly one time per game. <laughs> <laughs>